Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to join us today on this Tuesday afternoon. And what appears to be a sunny day here in Northeast Pennsylvania, I think that's the sun out there. Guys, you have to share with me if you're seeing it as well, but we're glad everybody has come join us today. A very interesting program. We'll be talking about some questions that have come in. And uh, we have Jeff Smelter. Is Jeff there? Jeff is down. Yes, I'm here. Jeff, good. Glad I don't see you, but there you are down in XPA. Good to see you, Jeff. Yeah, and it's not sunny here. It's not sunny there. We're a little bit further south than me, and yet further south than you, I think, or southeast is Scott down in Gettysburg, right, Scott? I'm west of him, and we've got sunshine here. So maybe in a little while, Jeff, you will have some. Really? We've got Florence coming overhead right now. Yeah, well, I think she's just about, I don't know if she's still around up here or not, but anyway, we've got the sun. And also from Exton, Jonathan, our webcast engineer. Glad you're here. How you doing, Jonathan? I'm doing pretty good. I'm actually in Gettysburg, so that's all right. Uh, I you know my mind, my brain keeps doing it. I mix okay. okay. both Jeff and Scott back up a lot, so I'm bringing you in on mix up as well. Good to have you in Gettys- from Gettysburg. Yeah, uh, good to see you guys. And Stephen, who's normally with us, is away on a gospel meeting, right? Isn't he preaching a meeting down in Alabama, guys? Auburn, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. Wish him the best down there. Um, let's see. If you're coming in from uh, using the uh, Zoom app through BibleQuest.tv, we would like you to use the Q&A box. There's a little <clears> thing up there. You click on that Q&A and up comes the box. Type away. We want to hear your questions, your comments, whether we're, you know, if you want to talk or ask questions about what we're talking about or even something unrelated, put it in there and we'll get to it. Uh, if you're coming in through Stephen's Facebook page, we're still monitoring that page, even though he's not here, right, Jonathan? You're monitoring that. Monitoring that. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Okay, good. And there you just have a little comment box, I believe, underneath the video there, and just comment away there. Now, I, I say this, I try to say this, um, and remember to do this, uh, Facebook has about a 15 to 20 second delay. So anytime we're saying something live, as you're getting it off of the Zoom app, you people on the Facebook page are getting a little bit delayed. So if you're commenting on something and then we don't <laughs> do it right away, there might be another delay yet of us getting back to your questions and comments, but we get them in the list and we'll get to them. Now, with that stuff out of the way, let's get to our program today. Uh, oh, thank you. Somebody just stopped sharing the screen. I'm, thank you for doing that, John. I keep forgetting these things. Um, we got a question that came in from Mike this week, and um, it's a, a good lengthy question, but I'll, I'll just paraphrase it, narrow it down to his question, which is basically he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he rested. And in the Ten Commandments, number four says to keep the Sabbath holy. Why do Christians worship on Sunday rather than Saturday, which is the seventh day? So now we, we've talked about this in the past, but let's go, ahead and go into it a little bit deeper, guys. Where are we going? Well, let's start with what was the Sabbath? Who was it for, and what were the instructions? So maybe uh, you guys start on any of that. Well, as far as I know, the word Sabbath itself means a rest, and that was the, uh, the day of rest for, for the Lord was on the seventh day. He rested after his creation. I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Jeff, you got to unmute yourself there, Jeff, but 
I don't think he made the seventh day holy at that time in Genesis, did he? Well, uh, if, if we turn over to Exodus chapter 20, of course, you're, 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 you've mentioned, alluded to the fact that God rested on the seventh day after having created everything in six days. But in, Gen- in Exodus, the 20th chapter, in verse 11, where we have the, the um, instructions concerning the Sabbath as part of the law of Moses, um, verse 11 says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I don't know whether that's saying he made it holy in the beginning. I don't know if that's saying he makes it holy now because he rested on the seventh day. Obviously, in the foreknowledge of God, he knew he was going to do this. He, he created everything in six days, ceased, rested, so to speak, on the seventh day with a view to something, an idea, a concept that's going to be throughout the Bible, and that is a rest for the people of God. And I don't doubt that he also had in mind, I'm going to give my people a law eventually, and they're going to have a seventh-day rest. So he sanctified it. He made it holy. He set it apart. I, I guess my inclination would be to say he did that at the beginning. Uh, but in terms of then requiring somebody to observe a seventh day of rest, he, he does that for the first time in Exodus 16 and then codifies it as part of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 when he gives the law to Israel. That's what I meant, that he wasn't making it a requirement back then until he instituted it through the law of Moses. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. I think that's correct. So, therefore, it is a law, or it was a law. And I, and, that, and I would, just, just to be precise, before the Ten Commandments, we have in Exodus, the 16th chapter, when they are given manna for the first time, there would be no manna on the seventh day. They're not supposed to go out to gather it on the seventh day. Uh, and I believe, if I remember right, it specifies that's going to be a day of rest. Um, in verse... Um, well, in Exodus 16, maybe it doesn't say day of rest, but it does say six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. That's in Exodus chapter 16 and verse 26. They're and already in the environs of Mount Sinai there. And it's worth noting that then when the Ten Commandments are given, it says remember the Sabbath mm-hmm. to keep holy. So there seems to be some familiarity expected. All right, so... This does sound very then very important then to the Lord about this day of rest. Yeah, it made it in the uh, Ten Commandments. Uh, remember the Sabbath, keep it holy, and on that day, do what? What's the instruction? Well, it's in, you're referring now to Exodus chapter twenty. Uh, there to um, do labor and work for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. They you shall not do any work. Now, originally, did it say, did, did the Ten Commandments say, and on the Sabbath go to the synagogue? No. <laughs> no I don't right, that, they didn't have synagogues at the time. So it starts with this is a holy day. Don't work on it. You're not to work. Who else is not to work? Uh, you're a male servant or your female servant, your son or your daughter, your cattle, your sojourner who stays with you, so somebody living amongst the Israelites who's a foreigner. And so you're reading uh, from like verse eight there, right? Verses eight and nine of Exodus 20. Well, that was specifically verse 10, but yes, right there in that passage, that context. 
Right. And so Friday ends up being a day of preparation for the Jews because on Friday you did some extra work so that you'd be ready to rest on Saturday. Now, mm-hmm. Exodus gives a commemorative reason for the Sabbath, and Deuteronomy gives a commemorative reason for the Sabbath. There are two different ones. Right. And who are these instructions given to, and what are the two commemorations? It's kind of interesting. Deuteronomy 5 introduces the Ten Commandments as they're, as they're reiterated there. And it says in verse 3, The Lord did not make this covenant with our fathers, but with us, with all those of us alive here today. Um, and then it goes ahead, and you have the, the Ten Commandments reiterated, including the Sabbath commandment. And here, um, it's because in verse 14, uh, you shall not do any work, you, sh- you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your cattle, etc. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Uh, therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So it's with the people who had been slaves in Egypt. Yeah. And so, and it's instructed in Deuteronomy 5.1, uh, Moses called all Israel. He said, hear, O Israel. So these are instructions to the Israelites. It commemorated their having left the labor of Egypt. And of course, in Psalm 95, later, later written by David, I'm tying into another passage we may get to later. David will be saying in Psalm 95, don't be like your fathers in the wilderness who, because of their disobedience, God swore in his wrath, they will not enter into my rest. rest, which that rest is pointing to the promised land rest. All right. So, well, hang on here. Let's just, just, you've alluded to an idea there and, and, and that is that this idea of a seventh day Sabbath is an is a is a rest idea that's connected with yeah. the idea of entering into the promised land, the land of Canaan. Those are not two unrelated things. Right. There's a theme running there, and of course that theme will get extended quite a bit more. Um, so uh, and it, it's a theme that goes back to creation. Exodus points out that God had created things in six days and on the seventh day rest. And, and excuse me if I can jump in again, but yeah. the way you said that, you said that beautifully. There are people who insist we're supposed to be keeping the seventh day Sabbath today, that we shouldn't work on Saturday. And they say it goes all the way back to creation. Well, there is a theme that goes all the way back to creation, but there's not a legislation about not working that goes all the way back to creation. And so this idea of a theme is important. And as you're going to develop this, where this theme is going. Oh, let, yeah. let, let me add to that too, Scott. Yeah. Uh, what you had said, you had pointed out Deuteronomy verse five, I'm sorry, chapter five, verse three, which is what Jeff was just alluding to. Although it was going back, this is a covenant that was not made prior. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us who are, who are all of us here alive today. So I, that popped at me. I haven't recall. I don't recall it popping out that here's something that tells us that, yeah, there was a connection to that, but there was no legislation on you doing that. And that verse is not just referring to one of the 10 commandments, but to the whole broader covenant. That he's making. There's been a build up to this with Abraham being selected, the promises to him, and now 
we have Moses, we have deliverance from Egypt uh, and all the foreshadowing there. Uh, and we have this legislation of the Sabbath. Now, when we come, I'm going to present an argument, uh, as for instance, you might hear from uh, a Seventh-day Adventist believes, in fact, their name focuses on the seventh day. Uh, going back to their historical roots, uh, one of their people involved in their founding said they had a vision, they saw the Ten Commandments, and there was a halo around number four. And so they've always emphasized the importance of keeping the Sabbath, and they believe that Christians today should keep the Sabbath. And so I'm going to present two or three of their arguments, and then if you all will go to Scripture and be answering these questions about the Sabbath and about Sunday from the standpoint of these arguments. So if I say, all right, well, God rested on the first day, it's commanded in the Ten Commandments, and Jesus kept the Sabbath, and Paul kept the Sabbath. We see them both, you know, on the Sabbath going to the synagogue. So we today should keep the Sabbath, would go the argument. Well, well let's, Jeff, that's a pretty strong argument, Jeff. There's a in there. <laughs> so let's, they said God rested on the seventh day. Yes, and God also created animals on the fifth day and man. I mean, <laughs> that doesn't get us there to we should be resting on the seventh day. But then he does give the commandment. It is commanded. But when he gives it, as we've already said, he gave that commandment to the Israelites, and he gave a lot of commandments to the Israelites, uh, whether it be animal sacrifices or whether it be going in and conquering the land of Canaan that, that we're not doing, nor are we supposed to be doing. But then that Jesus kept the Sabbath. Paul kept the Sabbath. Well, Jesus kept the Sabbath. Jesus also went to Jerusalem for Passover. Jesus yep. kept the various aspects of the law. The idea that Paul kept the Sabbath, usually they'll refer to the various passages in the book of Acts where Paul comes into a city. I'll just pick one. First Thessalonians, uh, Acts chapter 17, where Paul comes right. into the city of, of, of Thessalonica. And what he routinely does is he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. But what is Paul doing? Well, the gospel to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Each city he comes to, he first of all seeks out Jews. And where and when are you going to find Jews gathered such that you could preach to them? They I would say on the Sabbath. There you go. And where would you find them? Temple uh, the at the synagogue. In the synagogue on the Sabbath. So he, his going to the synagogue on the Sabbath is because that's where and when he could find the Jews he's going to preach to. We no more need to be keeping the Sabbath, the seventh day Sabbath, than we need to be going to synagogue. So I guess I, I said I'd read it. Let me read this passage in Acts, Acts 17 real quickly. What verse? Um, verse 2. Well, verse 1. Now, when they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, this is Acts 17.1. They came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his custom was, went in unto them, and for three Sabbath days reasoned with them from the Scriptures, opening and alleging that it behooved the Christ to suffer and to rise again from the dead. Uh, and, and this we see routinely Paul doing in the cities. All right, so Jesus uh, was doing, enough, of course, the law of Moses. In fact, a good way to illustrate that, in Matthew chapter 8, when he cleanses the leper, who did the tell, he tell the leper to go to and to do what, according to the law of Moses? The priest. Go see the priest. Yeah, go to the Levitical priest and offer the sacrifice 
because they were still under the law of Moses. Uh, the New Covenant, uh, Hebrews 9, makes clear that the New Testament uh, doesn't go into effect until after what has happened. Someone dies. Yeah, and in this case, it's going to be the death of Christ. Jesus. Right. And so uh, this is Hebrews 9, and starting around verse 13 and reading down there through like 15 such, you can be reading about that. Uh, but does the New Testament say anything about whether or not we are to keep the Sabbath? Well, um, yes, it does. <laughs> uh, Colossians 2 uh, is talking of, about the Sabbath and various other aspects of the observance of the law. And I'm going to have to get there in my Bible. If one of you is there already, turn over to it. And you can... Yeah, verse 16, after saying that the ordinances uh, of the old, old covenant, that the ordinances had been nailed to the cross, the bond that was written against us in ordinances had been nailed to the cross in verse 14. Verse 16 says of Colossians 2, let no man therefore judge you in meat, because back under the law of Moses, what were some meats that were legislated out? Work. Well, yeah, mm-hmm. all the unclean animals. They right, were. right. Uh, whereas in First Timothy 4, any animal created by God is mm-hmm. clean. And in the sheet down later down to Peter, even though the point was that now people shouldn't be viewed as unclean, to use the message, all these animals are clean as well. So don't let anybody now judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of a feast day, or a new moon, or a Sabbath, Sabbath. Now, we know from Romans 14 that Jews, of course, were still resting on Saturday, and Gentile believers were not. And Paul and, and, and Jews in Rome were staying away from meats, which might have been sacrificed to an idol and sold at market, or might have touched some pork, or might be pork, or whatever. They're staying away from meats, and the Gentiles are not. In Romans 14, Paul doesn't have a problem with that Jews are not working on Saturday or that they're not eating the meat. And he doesn't have a problem with that the Gentiles are working on Saturday and eating the meat. And he's asking them to show respect for each other and consciences. Um, But that's a different thing than somebody come along and judging you. So here he's telling Gentiles, don't let somebody judge you, you know, and say that you have to keep the Sabbath. Why? The next verse tells us partly why. Don't let, it, don't let no man judge you in meat or drink in respect of feast day or new moon or a Sabbath day, which things are a what? Shadow seven. of the things to come, but the body is Christ's. <clears throat> so when the Sabbath was given, there were two things pointing backwards. One passage points backwards to creation. One passage points backwards to a very recent history for them. You were slaves laboring in Egypt, and now you're brought out. But this passage says the Sabbath is pointing forward. Yeah, yeah. Right? And we've already noticed that they were, when they were given this commandment, they're on the way to the promised land, which will later be referred to as God's rest. Because a few hundred years later, David in Psalm 95 is warning the Israelites of his time, don't be like your forefathers in the wilderness. And somebody just sum up. What were the forefathers like in the wilderness? What was their attitude and behavior? Well, the Israelites didn't have enough faith in God to just put their trust in him. They were always complaining. We don't have enough to eat out here in the wilderness. There's no water in the wilderness. 
Um, we're going to be defeated and destroyed. And uh, so as a matter of fact, uh, God l allowed them to spend enough time in the wilderness that a whole generation died off and never made it to the promised land, yeah. to the rest. A very interesting punishment there. What they kept complaining about was being in the wilderness. Yeah. So what did they get? There's more wilderness. Yeah. Um, also interesting that one of their problems is they're not looking forward to the rest that God had promised them. Yeah. You see them start looking backwards and say, oh, we ought to go back to Egypt. It was better back in Egypt than this type of thing. Well, um, in, in David's time, it says, don't be like your fathers were, because when they were disobedient, God said, they will not enter into my rest. And the Hebrew writer in Hebrews 4 is going to develop that saying, why would hundreds of years after they got into the land, there be a concern about missing out on a rest? Yeah. And so as we come to the new covenant, let, let's think about what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. Uh, the Israelites had been in bondage to Egypt. Right. They, they'd been in slavery. Yeah, they'd been like, in slavery. Like we were enslaved to sin, just to kind of anticipate a little bit. Yes. Yes. And Moses came along and delivered the Israelites out of slavery and into freedom. But in that freedom from slavery, was there going to be a yoke of obligation to God? Yes. Yes. Well, Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, is he comes to a world that is in bondage to sin. Then, in fact, you remember in John where Jesus says, uh, you shall know the truth and truth shall make you free. And they get offended. They say, we're sons of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anybody. <laughs> not entirely true, but uh, they... He says, anybody who sins is the bondservant of sin. Right. So in Matthew 11, 28, 29, somebody have that passage you want to read or for us? Yeah, I got it. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Okay. So, go ahead, Jeff. So we've got a, going back to your use of the word theme, we've got a couple of themes back there in the Old Testament. The Sabbath looked back to the theme of God's resting on the seventh day, which was the idea of coming to a completion and, and ending his work of creation. And then we've got this theme of having been in slavery and now being free and journeying through the wilderness to a an end when things come to a completion and they can come to an end of their labors in the wilderness. And uh, so you think of all those ideas. On the one hand, laboring and then coming to a completion and finding rest. And so we have Jesus saying, take my yoke upon you for my burden is uh, light and my, oh, I can't quote it. Finish my burden it. is easy and my yoke is my light yoke and my burden is, is easy. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Or I might've got it reversed. You had it reversed, um, but that we got the point. <laughs> okay. Thanks. Then if you go to the book of Revelation, you have, during a time of persecution, people are faced with a choice of either doing what is hard and serving God uh, or caving in to persecution and turning against the Lord. And so in Revelation chapter 14, um, and what verse do I want here about they shall enter into my rest, if anybody sees it? Oh, yeah, yeah, verse 13. I heard a voice from heaven saying, right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, says the spirit, 
that they may rest from their labors. So this is that same eternal rest talked about in Hebrews 4. And But look at the wicked. What does it say about the wicked in verse 11? I'm not there yet. Anybody got they, that? They I've have got no it. rest. The, the wicked have no rest. Yeah, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day and night, those that worship the beast and, and his image. So from creation up to the law of Moses, to going into the land of rest, to looking to this rest, the rest in Jesus and eternal rest, you've got this theme. But we don't need to go backwards, and that's what Colossians 2 is saying. Don't let somebody go and take you backwards into this previous Sabbath requirement because it was a shadow of things to come. Mm-hmm. Now, so, go ahead. So Hebrews 4 it uses the expression, there remains a Sabbath rest for us, but the Sabbath rest that re- remains for us is the one that's in Christ, and everything we've been talking about in the Old Testament is, is, not the, the, is just the shadow of that. Um, so we don't go back to the shadows that represented what's coming in Christ. The Sabbath to us is, is what we'll have in Christ. Yeah, so Hebrews 4 and 9, where it says there remains a Sabbath rest, that doesn't mean the Sabbath that you had remains. It means there's a rest that remains to be had. And so, tells them to strive to enter into that. All right, so, so help me out here, guys. So you, the whole theme on Sabbath is about a rest. Yes. The Lord sanctified that seventh day, made it holy when he created and rested. He then gives legislation on honoring that seventh day where you will rest, do no work and labor. And therefore, does it say that they're going to worship God during that rest day? Well, it says it's to be holy to God. And then a good use we see of it later is you'll see Jews gathering in synagogues and taking time to read the scriptures and setting apart that time for God. And of course, Jesus, Luke chapter four, as his custom was, went in on the Sabbath. But as we've mentioned, he also told people to go to the priest to offer sacrifices. They do Passover, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All right. So, so there's the theme and that's what they were doing. You're now telling, uh, you're, you're saying that, since these are all part of the Ten Commandments that was strictly for the Israelites under Moses, and now that the New Covenant does not look at them the same way, where, where, do, where do we worship God? In other words, we don't have to worship God anymore? Well, and Jonathan, it looks like you had a comment. Jonathan, you've got a comment? Um, well, I was just going to say, if, if you consider... Uh, how Jesus, the, the same account in Matthew 11 and continuing into Matthew 12, uh, it happens in, Ma- in Mark chapter 2. And Jesus will make a statement in Mark chapter 2 in, uh, in verse 27. He said, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And you look at the, the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus, when he's talking to, to the people, he addresses a lot of distortions that had happened from the law yeah. into what the law was actually supposed to be. Uh, and what it was for, for, for all time. And so specifically with the Sabbath, the Pharisees were making it not, not a day of rest, but a day of almost policing where we're yeah. going to watch you under a steady eye and make sure that you're, that you're not doing anything that could be interpreted as work. 
Um, and, and it's, it goes back to what we have in Christ Jesus would make the statement after that. And then in the next verse in verse 28, and so then the son of man is Lord, even of the Sabbath, it was all ultimately pointing to what we've been talking about, the, the eternal rest that we have in Christ. Yeah. During his ministry, Jesus is not going around telling people to go work their fields on the Sabbath, but there is constant conflict between him and the Pharisees because as they did with some other laws, they took it to a degree which it ended up, instead of being beneficial, made it very burdensome. Yeah, uh, instead of being rest, they made it, they made yeah. it onerous. <laughs> In the rabbi's writings, you can't wear a bandage on a wound in such a way that the wound is getting better on the Sabbath. Because then some work is being done. <laughs> yeah, it was just, just ridiculous. All right, so but Colossians 2, besides the fact that in the New Testament, then uh, in the New Covenant, it doesn't, like a lot of the principles of the Ten Commandments are repeated as commands in the New Testament. The Sabbath is not. Uh, but it specifically says, don't let somebody judge you for that. That was a shadow. So somebody comes along and says, oh, yeah, because now Sunday is the Sabbath. So, you know, I've got a Catholic book that says, you know, Sunday was changed to the Sabbath. And, and a Seventh-day Adventist would say, Yes, Sunday observance comes from Constantine. That Constantine, hundreds of years later, changed uh, the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. Uh, there, there's biblically, there's kind of a real problem with that. If I tell you that Sunday observance started with Constantine in the 300s, what are some biblical passages that might come to mind? Uh, Acts 20. Uh, yeah, yeah where after waiting a week, they came and Paul met with the disciples because they had come together. Let's read it. Acts 20, verse 7. On, so the Acts 20 first day, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul preached with them, intending to depart on the morrow and prolonged his speech till midnight. And, now, and they didn't come together to hear Paul he is able to speak to them because they had already were going to be coming together to break bread on that day. Jeff? Yeah, and there's a little interesting detail here. And correct me if I'm wrong. I've really become humbled about making statements about the Bible always about the, or saying the Bible never because I've, I've been caught being wrong in a couple of instances. Uh, but So correct me if I'm wrong. But in, in this passage, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7, when he says they came together to break bread on the first day of the week, that's unusual. In the book of Acts, Luke never mentions, here's where you can right. correct me if I'm wrong, but if the, in the book of Acts, as I understand it, Luke never mentions a, uh, what day of the week something was, except when he is trying to talk about it being the Sabbath day. Uh, except it's significant. Yeah, yeah, right. He doesn't, yeah. he doesn't say what well, was the third day or the fourth day, but this time he does. Yes. He say this was significant. They came to break bread on the first day of the week. That had meaning. Yes, true. Let, let me add to that. Um, I was just talking about this on last Sunday. Backing up a few verses, we see that he was going in different cities. And if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't he anxious to get back to Jerusalem? And he was staying a night here in one city, then moving on, staying another night here, maybe one or two days, then moving on. But in verse 6, it says, uh, But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came 
to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. Yes. Wow, stayed why would you stay for, for seven days, Paul? Stayed there for a week, and then on the first day of the week, when the disciples were gathered together, he had an opportunity to preach them, intending to part the next day. And yeah, when he gets down to Ephesus, he doesn't even have time to get over to Ephesus. He says, meet me at Miletus. So he's moving, but he had waited to be there on Sunday. So let, let's, and time's run here, so let's do this kind of quickly. Every single gospel ends up with an emphasis on what day of the week? First day of the week. Matthew, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb was empty. Mark, Luke, John, first day of the week, first day of the week. He appears to the, to the apostles on the first day of the week. And eight days later, when you count numbers the way they did inclusively, he appeared again, which meant it was another first day of the week. The day of Pentecost, when the church was started, you go back to Leviticus, what day of the week was it? First day, the first day of the week. Yeah, because it was the day after the seventh Sabbath. And so, and then you have this, and, and Jeff's exactly right. Uh, Luke doesn't say that Philip baptized the eunuch on a Tuesday. He doesn't tell us what day it was because it doesn't matter. It was insignificant to what was happening. Uh, what day was Stephen Stone? Was it a Monday or a Wednesday? We don't know. We're not told because it doesn't matter. Uh, uh, the day that Paul had Jesus appear to him. That's a pretty major event. What day of the week was it? We don't know. Cornelius, we don't know. We know how many days in between there, but we don't know what day it was. When Luke says what day it was, it's because it's significant. And not only this passage, but when Paul in 1 Corinthians 16 tells the Corinthians to lay by in store for, to put aside the money for the needy saints in Jerusalem, what did he say he had also given order to the churches of Galatia? On the first, on the first day of the week, week. Every week. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay by in store, as I gave order to the church of Galatia. So obviously, Sunday, doing something on Sunday didn't start with Constantine. It started with Jesus rising from there. Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean these things weren't written in 300s? No. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the idea that Sunday is the Sabbath is a later idea. And so I've met people who think, oh, you can't work on Sunday. I got in trouble for mowing the church building grass on a Sunday. And it's a wrong idea. Yes, yes, yes. Um, Why do you suppose the brethren at Troas met in the evening? Because Paul preached till midnight. Because they had to work during the day. Sunday was a work day. Sunday wasn't a day you shall do no work. But Sunday was the day the Lord rose. Just, just to make this observation, the fact that that s- catches us by surprise is because so many of us have lived in a culture where Sunday has been a day off. But the reason Sunday has been a day off goes back to the fact, historically, the right. first day of the week became significant for Christians because that's the day they would recognize the Lord's death and eat the Lord's supper. Uh, now, the Sabbatarians say, well, it only goes back to Constantine in the fourth century. But what we've just shown is, no, that's not right. It goes all the way back to Scripture. Yeah. He only made it that, he only made it that official. He only made it that official as the, the state-sponsored day because he recognized the Christians were doing it already. Right. Let's move, unless somebody has anything else on that, to our uh, next question. Did we get any comments or questions so far? Are we watching that? Have we done such an erudite job of addressing all of this? Everybody's just sitting there going, wow, I have no questions. They've answered everything. Surely not. I I see a note here. It says, you have beaten that horse to death. (laughs) (laughs) 
Did you say we did an airtight job, Jim? <laughs> I'm just surely we've got some viewers out there who have some comments or questions about all of that. But if not, Scott's going to move us along to the next topic. And if somebody does have a question, we'll be glad to jump back to it. So any questions, any comments you have, please, we, we really appreciate hearing for, from uh, people in the audience and having you take part in the program. So if you've got any comments, any questions, any thoughts, please do chime in. Uh, let me go uh, ahead and get that second question out then, if we don't have any other. Yes, please. Uh, it says, uh, I know you dealt with music last week, but I have a couple of follow-up questions I hope you can address. If our music is to be non-instrumental, where do things like clapping along to the beat of a song come in? If a congregation is singing some fairly lively songs, is clapping or, or snapping along considered inappropriate or even instrumental? If it is, why? Also, is it appropriate for us to attend Christian music or gospel concerts since the songs are instrumental and, and they could turn into worship services? And so that has to do with listening to music outside of worship that's religious songs but has instruments with it. Go ahead, Scott. And just to sum up for those who weren't uh, tuned in last week, what this had to do with, there was a question then. And what we looked at was that in the Old Covenant, when you were to not work on Saturday, when were not to eat pork, when there was a temple with gold and, and animal sacrifices, some of the things called for in addition to singing were what? Cymbals, trumpets, incense. Uh, stringed instruments, burning of incense. And we get to the New Covenant, and we see that the physical warfare is not called for, spiritual warfare is. The physical temple is not called for, we're living stones built up. The animal sacrifice is not called for, we're to sacrifice ourselves. Circumcision of the flesh is not called for, we're to circumcise our hearts. And trumpets and cymbals and, and, and burning of incense is not called for. Singing, Ephesians 5.19, singing and making melody in your heart to one another and to God in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs is what the New Testament calls for. Now, this caller's question is, okay, if that's what we're doing when we assemble, but then you get in your car and you're listening to the radio, and there's the band and the guitar and all these things, uh, or you're going to a concert. So that's our question. Um, and uh, I got some thoughts on it, but I want let me see if anybody else wants to start there. Well, okay. <laughs> I, what we come away with in, in our previous discussion is that instrumental music was a part of the outward forms of the Old Testament worship, whereby God was teaching some concepts. The concepts... Again, it's like the Sabbath. Uh, those outward forms foreshadowed something that's coming that's spiritual and inward. And in the New Testament, what we see is Christians worshiping, making music from the heart. No longer do we need the incense to teach us about prayer. No longer do we need to offer animal sacrifices to teach about making sacrifice. We just give ourselves as sacrifices, our bodies. And Jesus Christ is the sacrifice that takes away our sin. So, so no longer do we use instrumental music in order to get everybody revved up and make a joyful sound. We make melody from the heart, Ephesians 5.19. So that's the principle. When we're going to worship God, let's worship God as New Testament Christians who are the real thing, who uh, have the reality, and the reality is spiritual. And so let's do that. Now, uh, beyond that, we can get into some of these things that are kind of peripheral, and I guess one of the things I want to say is I don't know that we want to, to follow the Pharisees down the path of making a bunch of laws to kind of define the boundaries of all of this. Yeah, right, here's a good Pharisee law. 
if you're at a funeral and if they play Amazing Grace and if there's a backpack, close your ears. You know, <laughs> that, that would be a Pharisee line. Don't, don't let the sound of the. Um, yeah. Uh, if they ask me to play the bagpipe, you know, while they do Amazing Grace, I'm going to decline for two reasons. Uh, I, I will, if I'm singing, I want to sing Make Melody in My Heart. Secondly, I don't know how to play the bagpipe. But um, <laughs> it's not that, like, for instance, Paul, when he went to the Jewish temple with some Jews paying for their sacrifices in Acts 21, and he would go there for Passover and thing, suppose some Levites are over there blowing some trumpets at the temple. Do we picture that Paul would be doing this? Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think so. Uh, but does that, there's also a question of wisdom. That's right. Um, Paul, when he talks to the Corinthians about eating meat that mm -hmm. had been sacrificed to an idol, and he says, you don't need to worry about it if it's just in the marketplace. If it's just in the marketplace, you don't even need to ask, hey, where did that come from? Oh, what if something sacrificed to an idol makes it in my mouth? It's the connection that you don't worry about. You don't even have to ask. Now, if somebody makes a deal out of it, then, then don't. But he uses a statement there. And I think uh, without time's sake, we won't get into why the statement is made and how it interacts with their letter. But all things are lawful, but not all things edify. Mm -hmm. There are some things that may not be sim simple, but it doesn't mean they're a good idea. So in practical terms, if, if we're worshiping God and somebody is kind of keeping time, tapping their toe as, they, as we're singing praises to God, rhythm I is got no problem with that. And if somebody sits there and starts doing this a little bit, I've got no problem with that. If we all, if we all say, hey, let's everybody start clapping, that's not a, yeah. a wise move. Yeah, yeah. If, if, if the song leader says we're going to clamp and, and do the locomotive show, <laughs> now let's just sing praise to God. All right. um, and there's some things that how certain things we do send signals to our kids. And we don't need to send pharisaical signals, but also getting them comfortable with things that would encourage them to incorporate it into the church right. is not a wise thing either. Right. And so when we start talking about instrumental music that we hear on the radio, religious hymns that are accompanied by musical instruments, that I hear a song, and it's a good song. It's a song that expresses a reverent thought, and it moves me, and I'm thinking reverent thoughts about God, and I find myself singing along with the radio. I don't believe I have sinned. I am singing, and I'm praising God from my heart. But at the same time, uh, I don't want to just acclimate myself to musical instruments such that it's just I'm comfortable with it. I'd have no problem with it. And the fact is, a lot of the modern Christian music that, that it, uh, I was seeing an article today and it was talking, the headline, I didn't read the article, but it was talking about the surprising um, persistence of Christian rock. Somehow I would be interested in seeing what the article is, but it sounds like they think it's odd that Christian rock would keep hanging on. But partially it's usually bad. It, it's mm -hmm. like, and it's usually, it, it is an imitation. It's yeah. not intended, it, it's not starting with God and worshiping God. It's starting with something that is sensual and that is from the world. And we're going to imitate that, but give it a kind of a Christian flavor. Yes. If you remember Striper from the 80s. No, I don't. Oh, or 90s. Oh, horrible. They look like Kiss or something. They uh -oh. were the big hair, the black and white. It looked horrible. Oh. And, 
Is this a Christian rock group? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, no, no. From By His Stripes We Are Healed. Oh, no, no, And the yelling and the bad guitar. So they weren't good. They didn't compare to Queen or Kiss. You know, they weren't as good of musicians. I mean, musicians. (laughs) But, you know, you can get some gigs. So is that your complaint, Scott, if they had been better? No, 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 no. It was was bad spiritually. It was bad rock. It was a bad combination. But it was rock. Yeah, yeah. And in there, they would have, if you listen, you could hear Jesus in there. (laughs) And it's it's a really bad philosophy. Hey, we'll have a rock concert at church. We'll put Jesus in it. You know, that Jesus needs to be front and center. You know, don't try to put Jesus as a topping on the pizza. So here's, you know, here's an equivalent. We have Super Bowl parties, you know, yeah. football, Super Bowl parties, chips and pizza and all that kind of thing. Hey, what if we had, uh, I don't know, Bible Bowl party? We'll have a Bible Bowl and we'll all get chips and but we'll make it the Lord's Supper. And we'll, we'll have cheerleaders. Watching, watching the Bible Bowl competition. Yeah. Put it on a big screen TV because that's the way people like to do these things. Yeah. You know, we're starting with something else and then trying to layer Christian stuff into it. I saw a church building and they were advertising for the Super Bowl that they would be playing the Super Bowl on the big screen at the church building. So the Super Bowl party was at the church building. Yeah. Let football be football. Let worship be worship. Is that a proverb? That, that, that's a good note to end on. We we hit the, the, the point of the end of the program, and uh, that, Scott, that was an excellent way to end it. Any other thoughts or questions? We may have had Randy that Barry one says, come up. Oh, Randy oh. Berry says, then, then this all come, becomes entertainment and not true worshiper of God. True oh, yeah. That happens so much. That's exactly right, Randy. Exactly. It becomes entertaining. And then and it's not about it's not about us praising God. It's about us doing what we want to do. That's where it gets. And the very fact that they're doing that, pulling the stuff from the world in, is they're trying to use that as a hook. Yes. Actually, that's yeah. that's called a, a, a bait and switch or something like that. They bait you in yep. for that, and then they switch it. Yep. Guys, once again, thank you so much for your your input, for your knowledge. I appreciate it. All of you, thank you from the audience for being here today. We invite you back next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Oh, let me put in one plug. In fact, I wanted to do it, but I didn't want to interrupt your thought. You were talking about a shadow and a foreshadow. Ah, but tonight we're going to be going in at 7.30, Dale Smeltzer. Uh, Scott Smeltzer, Jeff Smeltzer, you've heard of this fellow? Dale Smeltzer Scott. will be Scott. leading a study. He's to make a good preacher someday. He'll be a good preacher someday. Exactly. He's going to be leading the prophecy, shadows and foreshadows from the Old Testament of Christ. And it's good. Now, this is good stuff. Good stuff. We invite everybody to come in. If you want to, if you want to come in, you got to go to buy. If you haven't already registered, go to BibleCourses.online. www.biblecourses.online dot online go to the live classes courses button and look for the prophecy one and sign up there thank you very much everybody look forward to seeing you all next week